0: Welcome to the Weekly Skeptic, episode 32. I'm Nick Dixon, and I'm joined by Overton window dweller Toby Young. Coming up, Dylan Mulvaney becomes a disturbing face of Nike. Another woman is assaulted by poor trans victims, and the Dalai Lama sucks a child's tongue. Just a normal week in clown world. Plus, of course, our top stories of the week and peak woke. But Toby, I thought we could start with this Dylan Mulvaney madness, which you may have been following. Dylan Mulvaney became the bizarre face of women's clothing for Nike despite being a man and a completely mental one at that, who no one likes, especially women. And Sharon Davis issued a boycott against it. And people can't understand why they've done this. But James Lindsay on Twitter and other people had a very interesting explanation that it was all to do with this thing called the Corporate Equality Index, which is a lot like Stonewall's Workplace Equality Index. You essentially get points for being as deranged and leftist as you can. And when I looked into it, the Corporate Equality Index was funded by something called the Human Rights Index, something that escapes me at present, which I didn't write down. But that in itself was had a charitable wing where top Democrat-type people donate to it. And it's really, is it really all this sort of dark money? What do you think? Is that a conspiracy? Why did Nike pick Dylan Mulvaney?
1: Yeah, it is, um, on the face of it, a little bit odd. And I, I think Bud Light's choice of Dylan Mulvaney to promote beer, um, is a little bit odd too. And those aren't the only two products she's endorsed. I imagine she's, you know, um, raking it in at the moment. But it she does seem a particular, I mean, I guess it's actually, it's a toss up as to whether she's, you know, um, a more unlikely promoter of Nike do you say Nike or Nike? I, I, I've gotten to that. I still say Nike, Nike, but I know it's Nike now. I know I'm going to be cool. <laughs> well, I, I, What's more unlikely that Dylan Mulvaney should be picked as a celebrity to endorse Nike women's wear or Bud Light? It, it, it both seem very odd choices indeed. The video of her dancing in... Nike women's wear, um, which has been widely reproduced on Twitter, sorry, him, um, uh, is is very odd. Um, He looks like a kind of weird pixie. Um, There's nothing kind of remotely glamorous about it. I mean, it's sort of anti-glamorous, isn't it? Um, It's almost as though uh, companies like Nike, in order to advertise their woke credentials, are now deliberately engaging in self-harm Corporate self harm, using celebrities, getting celebrities to endorse their products that will almost certainly have a negative effect on sales. It's as though you know to, to 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 show the woke cult, the high priests of the woke cult, just how committed they are to the cause. They're willing to do whatever harms their bottom line the most to promote that cause that's how much they believe in it it's kind of it, 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 and there's a parallel there i suppose with you know you often think well why why do the high priests of the woke cult require their you know um uh, officiates um to endorse these kind of completely bizarre more and more bizarre um uh, Theories, you know, talking about the numerous different types of gender, insisting that we refer to men as women and so forth. It's as though it's not actually what they really believe. It's just a way uh, for people to kind of humiliate themselves intellectually, you know, describe something that's in front of their eyes as completely different to how it appears to them in a way which anyone who isn't in the cult will immediately think is absolutely absurd. They want them to humiliate themselves in this way to demonstrate their fealty to the cult. And it feels like Nike have been sucked into the same kind of uh, moral purity spiral. Um, because I just cannot imagine that Nike is going to sell any products on the back of Dylan Mulvaney's endorsement. I mean, she looked like she was. She didn't. I mean, she, she looked nothing like he looked nothing like a woman. Um, uh, it was as though. He'd been kitted out either in specially made clothes that would fit him, um, because his thighs were the size of matchsticks, um, or, 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 right. or, the, or he was wearing the kind of you know the 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 Nike's women's wear for under eights. Uh, but it was just, yeah, yeah, it, it, was, it was the whole thing was just peculiar and yeah. a good example, I think, of where the woke cult has overreached and is shortly about to implode, surely.
0: Surely, but yes, yeah, like sports bras for someone with no breasts—it was, it was really truly bizarre. And apparently, he seems to be even advertising tampons. I'm not—I'm not even sure if that's true or a meme. It seems to be an <laughs> oil of ole. I can't. It just seems to be like a flurry of products. It seems. Well, I, well, I it, can't it, even
1: it, tell it, which are real anymore. It, it. It. Well, yeah. I mean, and that and that sort of tells you something about the kind of mad state of the contemporary world. It is. It is quite impossible to distinguish between. Memes created to take the mickey out of the woke cult and actual manifestations of the woke cult. I mean, there was another example of that, actually. So I think it was uh, a a particular London borough um, announced that it was going to um, chop down trees in the name of, you know, environmentalism. (laughs) And, And the people in the borough initially assumed, because the announcement was made on April the 1st, that it was an April Fool's. And now, having discovered that actually it's real, they're absolutely furious. Um, wow. But it, it is so hard to tell these days, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And as to why it happens, few theories, there was this head of marketing who's this sort of mad-looking woman who I watched a short video with her, and she was basically saying, yeah, we, we took it from being a frat boy brand, meaning Bud Light, into this, you know, bringing it into the whatever, whatever buzzword she used, just seemed to be sort of totally clueless, just woke nonsense. and and you just think, are they just simply that stupid? Tim Pool had a theory. Well, it's a millennial worker who's, who's grown up with this stuff, who looks at Dylan Mulvaney's numbers on the algorithm and just says, wow, he's getting 11 million views or whatever. And then, you know, some Nike or Nike executive goes, yeah, okay, fine, do it, you know, press yes, you know, and, and just for pure numbers, meaning that, you know, they seem to do well on the algorithm. Dylan Mulvaney's game the algorithm and then it goes all the way to the top. So that's one theory. The other theory is, like I say, the Corporate Equality Index, and I checked the name, it's the Human Rights Campaign, which runs this thing called the Corporate Equality Index, which is the national benchmarking tool on corporate policies, practices, and benefits pertinent to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer employees. And it seems to be much like that Stonewall thing that Stephen Nolan exposed on the BBC as basically a a pyramid scheme. Um, James Lindsay called this, this Corporate Equality Index extortion racket that makes companies hit their points for supporting an inclusive culture and corporate social responsibilities it's this esg type so this they they have to make three distinct efforts of or, of outreach or engagement to broader lgbtq communities and stuff like that so there's all these and they gain points so it's this weird shakedown i mean so do you think it's the millennial worker do you think it's a corporate quality in this or something
1: else because as we've said well, women hate it yeah, I mean, I suppose if it if it if, if if it really is influential and playing a part in the decision of Nike's executives to hire Dylan Mulvaney and Bud Light, um, it must be because investment in those companies from huge investment funds like BlackRock um, link their investment to how many points companies score according to this equality index. Um, and in that way, I suppose the you know the board of the company can tell themselves that they are maximizing shareholder value. They're they're increasing their stock price by attracting investment from woke companies with highly evolved ESG and CSR policies, uh, even though <laughs> they're selling fewer products as a consequence.
0: Yeah, that could be it, and it could be that they attract these sort of charitable donations from. I don't have like to say Soros because people all go mad, but I went and looked at the who had donated to the charitable wing of the human rights campaign. And one of them was Soros, and it was other people like that. So it all goes back to the Soros dark money, and people say that's an anti-Semitic uh, conspiracy theory. I don't know why, but because um, Soros actually helped out the Nazis when he was younger. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> we don't to go too far into that. Um, did you also see this Riley Gaines thing? So another shocking assault on a woman by deranged trans ideologues, and this happened at San Francisco State University, and then they put out this extraordinary statement following. So Riley Gaines was, she was ma- doing a speech that was, you know, probably said something like men and women exist or something. And, um, and then they sort of surrounded her. They, they turned off the lights. They, they got her, pushed her into another room. They they kept her in that room. They said she was going to have to pay them. Uh, and they, they kept her there for like three hours or something. And it was like, it was pr- she was probably scared for her life. They were essentially holding her hostage. Absolutely shocking and um and actually what and what was even more shocking was the statement they issued which came from the uh vp so anyway she said dear sf state community and she's it's too long really to go into but it basically said how they were peacefully protesting so we may also find ourselves exposed to divergent views and even views we find personally abhorrent these encounters have sometimes led to discord anger confrontation and fear we must meet the moment and unite with the shared value of learning she kind of pays lip service to the idea of you know, diversity and free speech, but she's not saying that at all. She says, thank you to our students who participated peacefully in Thursday evening's event, the event where a woman was held hostage. It took tremendous bravery to stand in a challenging space. I'm proud of the moments where we listened and asked insightful questions. I'm also proud of the moments when our students demonstrated the value of free speech and the right to protest peacefully. Absolutely didn't happen. These issues do not go away and these values are very much at our core. No, they're not. This feels difficult because it is difficult, what, assaulting women? As you reflect, process, and begin to heal, the aggressors have to heal. Please remember that there are people, resources, and services available and ready to receive our gator community, including for faculty, staff members, coaches, and mentors who are here to support you. So they're here to support the rabid ideologues who pinned a woman in a room and, and made her fear for her life. I don't know what to say, well, them. The,
1: the, the, the icing on the cake in that statement is surely the sign-off in which... The university is reassuring the kind of violent thugs who assaulted this lone, vulnerable woman that if they feel psychologically harmed in virtue of participating in this assault, there are support services available to them. That is that is just kind of it's so bizarre um yeah it's pretty shocking I don't know if you saw one detail you've left out there um of your account which is um Sir Riley Gaines was interviewed by Dan Wooten um on GB News um and uh, and she said that when she was imprisoned in the room by the violent mob of woke activists uh, a message was conveyed to her that if she actually paid them a sum of money they'd let her leave so she was. Yeah, I did
0: say that quickly. You maybe didn't hear me. But did yeah. you? Sorry. That,
1: yeah, I, I miss that. Um, but yeah, that that was pretty. That, that struck me as pretty extraordinary. That she was essentially, you know, ransomed by this group. Um, uh, unbelievable. Um, yeah. Uh, why do you think, Nick? It's um, it's female swimmers who've been among the most courageous sportswomen to stand up to. Um, the trans cult and object to having to compete with biological males. I mean, in this country, of course, we have Sharon Davis, who's been getting a certain amount of flack since she's stood up and condemned this. Um, And over there, it's not just Riley Gaines, there are others too. Um, Is it because, you know, the people that, well, people like Riley Gaines are being forced to compete against are wearing kind of, you know, swimming costumes? um, bikinis or two pieces in which it just couldn't be more obvious that they're men because <laughs> they don't have any mm. breasts and they've got a penis. Um, uh, and so it just seems transparently absurd and the way it doesn't in which people are dressed in slightly more in other sports, or is it maybe it might, another theory is that swimming is a, is, 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 is quite a solitary sport. Um, it's not really, I mean, it can be a team sport, but for the most part, you know, you're, you're, you're battling against, you know, other people on your own, or you're you're trying to beat world records, or you're trying to beat your own time, and maybe if people are solitary, it appeals to solitary and less social individuals, so they're more likely to be free thinking and independent minded and less susceptible to kind of reality distortion fields imposed by groupthink. Hmm. Any theories? Interesting.
0: Um, yeah, I, I've got I've got a couple of replies. I mean, one is I think that's quite a good theory of yours that you can see. You know, If they've had their breasts cut off or you can see that they're, that they're not the gender they're claiming to be, you, it's very visibly. That's a good point. But also, I think it comes from the Leah Thomas thing and the general phenomenon of when you're so far ahead in swimming, it's so absurd because you're a whole length ahead and you're going the other way when everyone's coming that way. I think maybe there's something so absurd about it and so undeniable Uh, that that's just what prompted it to happen in swimming or maybe they're just really tough because swimming is really hard and as well as being individuals they're just it's just a really tough sport and they're like i've had enough of this yeah it could be any of those
1: i mean i do think that these these you know uh, riley Gaines must have anticipated when she kind of set foot on this very woke campus in san francisco um to you know make the case for um, single sex spaces in women's sports, um, she must have known that it would provoke a protest like this, just as, um, you know, Kelly J. Keen must have known that when she went to New Zealand, it, it was going to provoke uh, a similarly violent protest. And if so, um, you have to take your hat off to these female campaigners, because, you know, by putting themselves at risk, uh, I mean, in, in Kelly J. Keene's case, literally putting her life in danger, she succeeded in exposing the kind of thuggery um, just beneath the surface and made the claims of, you know, trans rights activists that they feel unsafe, that they're the victims of genocide, that there's an epidemic of violence against them. And they need, you know, counselling every time someone like Kelly J. Keen or Riley Gaines appears In their safe space, Um, it just makes those claims seem more and more ridiculous. I mean, they are violent thugs, and it's just becoming more and more obvious each day, thanks to you know the activism of these women.
0: Yeah, and can I just say what I said about breast cut off made no sense there because obviously women who are becoming men aren't going into these events. It's the other way around. I got confused for a second there myself. It's been a stressful day, (laughs) and and they're confusing us on purpose, guys. But yeah. I got a point about Kelly J, actually. Yes, well, Kelly J definitely knows she goes in there. She knows this will happen, so very bravely knows it will create publicity, but puts herself in harm's way. She's basically said that. And I find it so disgusting. The response from San Francisco State University to Riley Gaines reminded me of the White House response to the Nashville shooting. Oh, trans people are under attack. Let's have a trans day of visibility. Absolutely disgusting. Can only incite more violence and problems. This absurd siding with and the, and trans people and the illusion, like you say, of trans genocide, Absolutely disgusting. And I'm getting quite annoyed with normies that are sitting this out because now they're attacking women. I've said it in other episodes. As white men, we're kind of used to being attacked. It's wrong, but we're kind of like, yeah, okay, you hate the white men. We'll just go and do our own thing. But When they're attacking women, h- half the population and the most vulnerable half, it's so disgusting. And I know if I talked to my, the average normie in my football team or something, they wouldn't really be aware of this. They'd be sort of dimly aware of it. But it's just time for everyone to to not accept this, that they're doing this to women, that they're pinning women in a, a room and demanding money or that they're assaulting someone in New Zealand. It's just so disgusting to me. I just think when are people going... People have had enough, but I just—I I want people to do more and just speak out. But I, I guess it is happening. I mean, do you see it happening?
1: Yeah, I think I think the the gender crits are definitely winning this one. Um, and, you know, you see that with the announced closure of the Tavistock Clinic, um, the decision recently by International Athletics Sebastian Coe uh, That looks like the government is embarking on a review of the materials used to teach children about sex and gender in sex and relationship and PSHE classes. Um, So, definitely, you know, one of the reasons I think the uh, trans rights activists are behaving so badly is that they know they're losing, you know, so they're becoming hysterical and desperate. Um, And uh, in a way, there's a lesson here, isn't there, for other. Bits of the anti woke coalition. You know, the feminists who are veteran campaigners and who've had to, you know, fight for women's rights dating back to the suffragettes um, are showing us how to win the culture war. I mean, it's ironic because until quite recently they were on the other side, but they're showing us through activism, organizing, campaigning um engaging in debate setting out their case in a calm and reasonable way in the public square forcing the other side to look more and more ridiculous in their response they're showing us how to win this war you know we should we should we should attend to what they're doing their tactics because i think they are going to win this one
0: can i ask you one controversial question on tactics because i hate Guilt by association. I mean, even on the Trigonometry podcast, Constantine was attacking a young woman for having the wrong guest on, and she'd been a bit naive, but he was kind of attacking her quite meanly about it. And I, I just don't really go in for this sort of thing. I, I actually think talk to anyone and we can just hear their views. I'm a sort of free speech absolutist. Not everyone is. Having said that, i am sort of got a nascent point here that may get me in trouble, which is Kelly J is so effective. But then you see her just hanging out with Lawrence Fox and people like that. And obviously I know Lawrence, I've been on his show he works at GB like me. So it's not a diss on Lawrence, but it's like this issue is so important. I sometimes wonder, even though I hate guilt by association and even though you're bound to go to the side where people embrace you, is that a problem? Because this is this is about all women not being assaulted and being allowed to exist and have their own spaces. Mm-hmm. And if she, if she goes and does things like that, will she put off the normie in my football team who just thinks Lawrence Fox bad? Is there a danger of that? Yeah, I think that,
1: I mean, like you, I'm 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 a friend of Lawrence's and I've been on his podcast and his show a couple of times. So nothing against Lawrence. But um, I think probably a better example is um, the campaign against 15 minute cities. So there was a, you know, a day of action or, or a protest, a, a peaceful protest against um, so it wasn't a day of action. It was a it was a protest against 15 minute cities in the city of Oxford a few weeks ago. and the defenders of 50 Minute Cities were able to point to the presence, not just of, you know, slightly crazy conspiracy theorists like Piers Corbyn, who incidentally turned up at Hyde Park Corner on Sunday to kind of campaign alongside, um, you know, gender critical feminists. So they must be slightly nervous about him appearing in their midst to support the cause. But anyway, the defenders of 50 Minute Cities were not only able to point to slightly kind of fruit loop conspiracy theorists um marching alongside them, protesting alongside them, but also the presence of some seemingly far right groups, you know, so uh you know, um, it, it, and there were pictures of some of the men on the march from these groups in other contexts doing Nazi salutes. I do think that and it, it puts it puts the organizers, you know of these protests in a very difficult position because you know they don't want to say, Certain groups aren't welcome because they don't want to look as though they're anti-free speech or they're trying to, you know, police who joins their cause because then they begin to look too much like the other side. But on the other hand, I think yeah, it does damage the cause um, if you know if 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 your if you if you if your protest does attack people that can be, you know pointed to by the other side to try and ridicule your position and make it look much more extreme and irrational than it really is.
0: Yeah, but of course, they can also do what they did to Kelly J. There was there was those alleged far-right people at the New Zealand thing, and they just just got a picture of those five people who, even though the women told them to go away, and they can also just send them in. This is the thing that happens now. You send people into protest. We saw it possibly with Jan 6, you know, Ray Epps, what was he doing there, stormed the capital. They can easily send people in to, to the 15-minute city thing or the gender-critical thing and say, hey, where are the Nazis, we're, we're on this side. Yeah, that's very easy to do, isn't it? For yeah, but it you know, I've, I've,
1: I, yeah, but I've met Piers Corbyn um, a couple of times at events like the ones we're describing and um, I don't think he's controlled opposition. He's not um, being sent in by people hoping to discredit the cause he's... Campaigning for, I think he has you know agency. He's acting of his own free will. Uh, he's just promoting his kind of particular causes and seeing an opportunity to do so. I don't, I don't, th- you know, it would be nice yeah, to think. Is. Yeah, well, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe maybe in, in in some cases some of these people are kind of you know fifth columnists um, uh, who are you know operating to try and discredit the cause. And we know that you know the FBI has done that in the past in the US. Um, but um, yeah, I, I I don't get the impression. That uh, you know the, the 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 most of the people turning up who ultimately it would be better in an ideal world didn't turn up to anti fifteen minute city protests and anti lockdown protests more widely. Um, you don't get the impression that they've been sent there by people trying to discredit the cause. They they just they're just attracted to the cause, um, and, and it's hard to know what to do about them. Um, you know, if, if you were a political party, you 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 you'd keep these people out, um, and if you're the editor of a you know, an online magazine as I am, um, or at least, you know, I set one up, I'm the editor-in-chief, Will Jones is the editor. Um, You do try and keep out some of the more fringe views for fear of discrediting, you know, the brand. Yes, and
0: we we don't always agree, of course, where that line is, but yeah, that's...
1: uh, That's true. Yeah, all right. Uh, One last thing to say about this. I mean, Mm -hmm. when I talk to people who have organized things like the anti-15-minute city protest in Oxford and said, you know, is there no way... You can stop some of these crazier elements from turning up um, and, and their response is, well, even if we did, even if we were successful and everyone on the protest was was incredibly wholesome and moderate, etc um, the enemies would still claim that they were crazy or that crazies had turned up, so you know we can 't play their game um, by policing our own borders in that way. We have to be a broad church and open to all. Um, which i think is is a a reasonable argument
0: yeah and they'd also just call them nazis anyway there is that i mean and sadiq khan you know you don't like the ulez oh yeah you're a nazi you know so they're they're always going to just say it anyway
1: whether you're there or not and justin trudeau as well in his efforts to discredit discredit the um you know the uh, truckers protest
0: absolutely and biden's done it as well so toby did you want to say something briefly about the census regarding the trans population
1: Yes. So there was a really good piece, actually, in The Spectator by um, an assistant professor of sociology at Oxford called Michael Biggs. Um, And he'd done a bit of analysis of the uh, recent census results um, when it comes to um, England and Wales's transgender population. Um, So I think we discussed it a few weeks back, but it, it, it did reveal that the that, well, the number of people identifying as trans women or trans men was, was very, very small. Um, uh, so I think it was 0.1% identified as trans women and 0.1% identified as trans men, which is far smaller than trans rights activists and their lobbyists generally claim. But it turns out it could be even smaller than that, um, because he thinks that one of the reasons people answered yes to the question um, I think the way it was put was um, is the gender you identify with the same as your sex registered at birth so 0.24 percent of respondents said yes to that question and then they were given the option of saying whether they were trans women identified as as, as a woman or as a man at odds with their Sex registered at birth. But he thinks the reason, he thinks that the actual figures were inflated because some people whose command of English wasn't great misunderstood the question. And the evidence for this is that, curiously, the London boroughs of Newham and Brent topped the list of all areas in England and Wales with the highest number of trans people in them. So 1.5% in Newham and 1.3% in Brent. But Newham and Brent coincidentally. Or perhaps not coincidentally, also have you know a large number of people living in them for whom English isn't their first language, Uh, and he thinks it's just inconceivable that you know the number of people identifying as trans in Brighton is lower, significantly lower than the number of people in Newham and Brent. So the logical explanation is people just misunderstood the question. Um, And (laughs) here's 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 another example, Nick. Um, So one of the findings in the census is that Muslims are three times more likely than non-religious people to identify as transgender, and black people are four times more likely than white people to identify as transgender. And that contradicts what we know from other data. So if you look at referrals to Tavistock's Gender Identity Development Service, there are far more white and non-religious young people than in the overall population in the same demographic. Um, uh, So... The explanation he thinks, you know, for the fact that according to the census, one in 67 Muslims are trans is not because it's true. And actually, Muslims are three times more likely than non religious people to identify to a different sex than the one they were born He thinks it's just that, you know, within the Muslim population, there is a significant percentage of people whose command of English isn't great. And and they just simply misunderstood the question. They didn't understand the question. Um, And I think that's right, which means that um, uh, actually the the, the, the numbers of trans women and trans men in England and Wales are probably significantly lower even than 0.1% respectively.
0: Yeah. So what you're telling me is there's a genocide against people who can't understand questions. That's what's really (laughs) happening. That's, That's the real genocide. They are the marginalized, the people that can't fill out a survey. And we need yeah. to stand up for them. And they should be able to kidnap women, ideally, in a, in a university. Do you want to move on to this naked education thing, Toby, that you didn't follow, but I did? I didn't,
1: you, you tell me about the it. The latest yeah. outrage. Yeah, I'm so, not surprised
0: um, you watched it. <laughs> no, of course I didn't watch it. But it, I saw it on Twitter. And Channel 4, it's, they had their, what was the other show called? Naked something, something about dating, wasn't it? I'm, I, I should have checked, but I'm very out of touch with all that kind of thing. It was a show where naked people dated. It was called something. Now, now it's naked... Educate, naked attraction was it, yeah, and now it's a naked, naked education. Yeah. And basically, what it is, Toby, is a, a load of people in the trailer flashing in front of children. And I found this fascinating because flashers used to have to buy a raincoat, hang around the park all day. There was a lot involved. It was, it was, it was tough work. It, they weren't appreciated. Now they get a Channel Four series, and that's progress. I think that is progressive,
1: <laughs> progressivism in well, action. Right, yeah. I, I wonder where they'd all gone because my wife. Um, maintains that when she was a little girl, she was constantly flashed. I mean, she did live in Hampstead. (laughs) So maybe that's part of the explanation. It often happened on Hampstead Heath, you know, at Mm. dusk. Um, But uh, uh, my own daughter claims never to have been flashed. She's 19. Um, Admittedly, we do live in Acton and there's less green space. But um, uh, it did did sort of um, beg the question, um, where have all the flashes gone? Well, now we know they've gone to Channel 4
0: they've gone to channel four and some people have tried to defend it and said, why is everyone getting upset? But it, but, but they flash in front of teens who are 14 to 16. I'm sorry. that That's no, you know, why is this even legal? How is this? It's not legal just because you put it on channel four. We have laws for this kind of thing. And it's like, Oh, it's body acceptance. And, and it's just, it's all about accepting yourself. It's like, no, you're, you're stripping in front of children back away. Basically that's, that's my stance. What about you?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it feels quite um, Channel Four, doesn't it? Channel Four have often kind of um, uh, uh, crossed the boundaries of decency in order to kind of generate column inches and clicks, and this feels like yet another example of that. But yeah, pretty disgusting. Um, I I wonder I wonder how many of the parents who consented because you can't you know you can't include a child. Um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a television program without the consent of the child's parents. I wonder how many of them actually knew what they were consenting to when they signed up for this. Yes, sure. did it
0: say, by the way, a bloke will be showing his junk to your kid? Is that okay on telly? You all right with that? It probably wasn't phrased exactly like that, was it? Hmm, probably plays an exciting opportunity to be part of something that will help teenagers' mental health or something like that. We don't know. We're yeah. only speculating. Yeah. 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 Okay. But- well, that was that. It was a bit of an outrage for about 10 seconds, so I thought we'd we'd cover it and you know just give my do you, usual worry so
1: Whenever I, Whenever I um condemn things like that, James Dellingpole accuses me of just kind of um falling into the trap. Um he thinks these things are manufactured by the powers that be to distract us from what's really going on. And, and it's just kind of it 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 sort of Outrage stoked up. He really thinks this is what the culture war is. It's just a, it's just a kind of, it's just a device to distract us from the things we should be focusing on, such as the, you know, um, decimation of agriculture and um, the rollout of um, biometric ID cards and the rest of it. Um, but I suppose there's a sort of version of that, a less crazy sounding version, which is that when we when we become outraged by something Channel Four has done and tweet about it and condemn it on GB News. We are just playing their game. Uh, and I don't think you have to be a conspiracy theorist to believe that that is what Channel 4 want and that's why they're doing this. And they think ultimately, they're, they're, they know from experience that actually, you know, the more people talk about their shows, uh, the more likely they are to attract eyeballs when they're broadcast, even if what everyone's saying is that it's disgusting and shouldn't be allowed.
0: Yeah, I think there's something in that. I think there's different levels. Like the the, the host of the show wants to get another show and get paid the the pervert in the show wants to be a pervert the kid is roped in however they're roped in and the idiot commissioner who's woke commissions it i think they can all do those completely on, on face value but the wider point you're saying of the distraction on the on the ultimate level yes presumably we talked about it before why do the neoliberal elite why did they become woke why did they embrace this and you said well post 2008 it was a much easier way than actually having a full social revolution or some sort of you know redistribution genuine redistribution what they found was they were just, let's just keep our cash but throw them a bone with this nonsense about post-colonialism or white people are racist so in the same way i think it's completely plausible the one percent do stoke the whole culture war you know people always say it's soros or whoever it is but people they have their own interests and what reasons they want to do it one perfectly rational explanation would be to distract the population from if you're the one percent you're basically terrified the whole time saying right we we own everything we've got all the money we've got the resources how do we keep them and i do i don't think it's kind of conspiracy to think that you're plotting all day thinking how can i do that because that's what anyone would do even tate said that it's like that's what i would do it's like if you were the one percent your primary your primary concern is them the, everyone overturning you. i mean that's a classic example i can't remember where it comes from but it's an anecdote about they were going to give a purple slash, sash to every slave in Roman times, whenever it was. And then they suddenly realized, hang on, let's not do that because then they'll realize there's far more of them than there are of us. So I can't remember where the story comes from, but it's a kind of archetypal story. So the 1% is presumably terrified at all times about the 99% overturning them. So one of the many things they might do is stoke pointless divisions and nonsense. Yeah. I don't think that's plausible. And the farming thing does seem to be real and quite scary. They're trying to shut down farming, which may be because of they are genuine zealots about the climate, or maybe for other reasons, I don't know. But they do seem to be attacking farming in all cultures. I saw a video from America the other day, a woman saying that we can't keep going like this. We know in Holland it's been happening. It's an insane thing to try and attack farming. Idiots like George Monbiot want to get rid of farming. It's like, guys, we need food. But there does seem to be this insane agenda. So yeah, I, you know, James could, could well be onto something.
1: Yeah, I, I I park company with James on that I and uh, you seem to be attributing something which sounded a bit more conspiratorial than anything I remember saying I think the um I think I I think I did say that um the reason um uh left-wing identity politics have um found such a um willing host uh in the kind of corporate world is because it They represent a more attractive alternative to old-fashioned socialism as represented by the Occupy movement in its most recent manifestation, Um, because in order to placate the radicals criticizing um, the status quo, all they have to do is appoint a few people of color, a few women few trans people to the boards of their companies and promote a few to the c-suite and that's it problem solved and they don't have to give up much in the way of their privilege or wealth i think that's that's certainly one of the reasons um uh it it, 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 it the corporate world has proved so eager to embrace this cult you know it's a more attractive um form of radicalism of left-wing radicalism than the you know Alternative, um, but I, I think it's I think I think that's semi-conscious at best, and I think what really appeals to them, what really appeals to you know, um, uh, people who run investment funds, um, hedges, people who embrace ESG and CSR, they 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 like the idea of not being at loggerheads, you know, with the younger generation, with the kind of media academic, you know. Complex. Um, they don't like being thought of as the baddies, and in this way, they can they can they can they can be transformed into the goodies, you know, on the same side as their kind of blue-haired children, who they can now look in the eye as they sit across them eating their yogurt at the breakfast table, um, uh, without having to sacrifice very much. I think that, that that's the key to it. They they, they they've somehow. Been, they didn't like being portrayed as the bad guys as evil capitalists, exploiting people and uh, propping up a very unequal system. Um, but they've discovered that if they embrace the woke cult such as you know hiring Dylan Mulvaney to promote their products, um, then they can they can placate the kind of angry youths and you know um, un- underemployed underresourced, Academics and journalists and bloggers, um, you know, at, at very little cost to themselves. I think that's that. That that, that. It, it's not. It's it it's. They don't think of it. I don't think because. Um, uh, and I think they. I mean, I think the, the the other the other thing which complicates it is that it's become a way of kind of signalling your status within the kind of corporate world. I mean, anyone who you know criticizes ESG CSR. Diversity, equity, and inclusion—you know—within within within a a, a very successful corporation isn't likely. It it will automatically be assumed to be, you know, a deplorable someone who who hasn't got with the program, um, someone who's a bit out of it and ignorant, a bit old-fashioned. And it's a way of signalling your membership of the kind of Brahmin class as well, which is another reason it's 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 sort of it's 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 landed so well in that world.
0: Well, I think we're saying the same thing. Maybe I've given it a slight Team Nick spin, a slightly more extreme version, but you are talking about placating. They want to placate placate, placate these people. So what does that imply? That implies they're they're worried about them being angry. But you, it's just a question of degree. You're saying because they'd rather get on with them and not be the bad guys. I'm saying it's because they feel threatened by movements like Occupy yeah. and the post-2008 revolution. And I think they do feel threatened. So I think it's a question of degree, really.
1: Yeah, I suppose it's sort of semi-sincere I don't think it's completely cynical. I don't think they don't really believe any of the crap they say. They're just saying it in order to hang on to their privilege. And that that you know there is somewhere a soundproof laughing room, you know, in Nike headquarters where they get together and kind of piss themselves because they've, they've <laughs> hired Dylan Mulvaney and it's going to keep the mob at bay for another six months. Um, uh, yeah. So there is like no. The laughing lizards room. laughing I, meme. It was actually, an, it was originally, a, it, it was an H.L. Mencken um, trope. He, he came up with this idea that at the 21 Club in New York, where the he thought the prices were so absurdly high, uh, that there must be somewhere in the bowels of the building, a laughing room, a soundproof chamber, where the owners of the 21 Club kind of gathered from time to time and just fell about laughing that people were willing to pay the prices that they were charging for, you know, martinis and Manhattans. Um, I, I don't think, I, I, don't, I don't think there is the same degree of kind of cynicism. Unfortunately, in some ways it would be better if there was, I think, you know, they have brought themselves to believe all this nonsense somewhere along the line.
0: Okay. Well, that's our slight difference on that. I, I might just go to this other story a bit earlier than I planned to, which is the Dalai Lama, because it's kind of similar to the naked attraction Nonsense. It's kind of a nonsense story, but it also is quite disturbing. It's kind of in the same vein, which is the Dalai Lama regrets asking a young boy to, quote, suck my tongue in odd viral clips. So, this was the in the Daily Star, actually. I don't know what it's funny that I've got a Daily Star headline. We just did it in on Headliners the other night, is why. It was a bizarre clip. He said he wanted to hug the kid and he, he went up close to him. And then he put his tongue out and said, suck my tongue, which kind of sounds like an early Red Hot Chili Peppers song, suck my tongue. So, quite disturbing. And this has been rationalized to some extent, people saying, well, some news refers to Tibetan culture about showing tongue, which sounds weird on its own anyway. But then it says, well, this video is certainly not any kind of cultural expression, though. And even if it is, it's not acceptable. Well, quite. I mean, even if there is something called showing tongue, and I don't know what that is, certainly sucking tongue is not acceptable. But what was going on here? Is the Dalai Lama just part of the evil cult that run the world? Or is he just a deranged 87-year-old man? Or is it just a misjudged... Attempt to be humorous. Is it Biden esque hair sniffing, creepy
1: stuff? It was certainly very weird. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to give the Dalai Lama the benefit of the doubt. He's led a fairly pious life. He's, you know, he's paid his dues. He must have denied himself a great deal um, over the course of his life. I think probably just a senior moment. He's 87. He was trying to amuse this child in front of him. <laughs> And this bizarre idea popped into his head. I don't imagine, you know, that it's something he regularly engages in behind closed doors. Um,
0: You don't know. He might have a load of kids lined up. You know, (laughs) he said, bring in the tongue sucking kids, and then they all just have to come and do it.
1: How how do we know? I mean, yeah. um, It's sort of so odd as to be not really sexual. I mean, do you think he could get, I mean, for a start, I don't, I I think it would probably take quite a lot to kind of arouse an 87 year old man um but um i can't imagine you know being aroused by a child sucking my tongue even if i was you know a vigorous 21 year old i suppose i i suppose if you're a complete perb, it might appeal to you but <laughs> that's it a good, that's a good it, clip it, it, it's to too old live show? To- <laughs> <laughs> it,
0: you just think it's too it look but toby i mean I don't know. You think it's you? It can't be sexual. The other the thing I was just going to say is the other thing is he can't really be fired because it's a spiritual appointment, isn't it? Just too much power. He can just do what he wants. He's just out there sucking tongues, challenging, challenging us, daring us to do anything about it.
1: <laughs> I sp- he has to. Isn't he a reincarnation? So in a way, I suppose it's slightly disrespectful to the kind of predecessors dating back, you know through millennia <laughs> he's the reincarnation of it. it's like have they all wanted to do this for thousands of years and you're the first person to actually you know break cover <laughs> it's like he's let maybe them that's it, it, hasn't he
0: maybe he's <laughs> like I could be a beetle in the next life I'm going to suck as many tongues as I want I don't care about them I love it I just cracked up there we said he is a reincarnation there's something about like that phrase
1: it's so funny he is a reincarnation But I, mean, I, I think he is yeah. reincarnated sounds more normal but something about it sounded hilarious I thought the Dalai Lama was essentially the same spirit reappearing you know um, over and over again. So it wasn't that if you're particularly good, you can be reincarnated as a Dalai Lama. I think it's, it's the same, somehow the same soul, which is manifesting in different Dalai Lamas down the ages. So if it's the same soul, that's what I meant by his rather let... He's letting himself down, I suppose, um, because he's been around for thousands of years. Well, it says
0: here the the, in Tibetan Buddhism, the belief is that the principle of rebirth, the Dalai Lama is believed by adherents to be able to choose the body into which he is reincarnated. So he chose this sort of bloke. Why would he choose him? (laughs) He's got quite (laughs) bad eyesight. Why would he choose him? And I need to look into this more and not insult our our, sort of Buddhist. That's true. We may have some Buddhist,
1: Buddhist fans. Yeah, yeah. I I don't an understanding
0: understanding
1: what, when the, what and you would have thought that, you know, um let's suppose the eternal spirit that currently is manifested in the Dalai Lama has a predilection for sucking tongues and can choose which body he is reincarnated as wouldn't he choose like a tongue sucking animal of some kind where well, it would be a lot easier to you could get your jollies out in the wilds you know without incurring any disapproval you're at no risk of being a meme or, or going viral
0: right i mean it could have been some sort of lizard or something i mean what i don't know what animal right. sucks tongues really um yeah. it says here this is from cnn so a pinch of salt but It says that um, Dalai Lama said when he turned 90 years old, he'd decide whether he should be reincarnated, potentially ending a role that's been key to Tibetan Buddhism for more than 600 years, but in recent decades has become a political lightning rod in China. So he could just choose not to be reincarnated. Do you think that's it? He's thinking, I'm going to end this. I've got a few years left. I'm going to suck as many tongues as I can. And I'm just going to not reincarnate at all. And I'm just going to go crazy and not but not poison the next reincarnation i don't i don't know exactly how it works but like maybe he's been why would he not at, reincarnate but,
1: yeah i don't know um, maybe he's been got at by the chinese communist party and he's you know yeah
0: don't uh, reincarnate or we will invade
1: yeah yeah <laughs> it's a, yeah <laughs>
0: um, it's something like that it's, it's t- so beijing views him as a separatist with the aim of breaking tibet away from china and is therefore keen for the next reincarnation of his role to fall in line with its own political aims I didn't realize this. I didn't realize there was this tension around whether he reincarnates and falls into the hands of China, or ha- it's all very complicated. There's more to this story, yeah. Toby. We need to do more. I should have done more deep research on this. I thought it was a silly story about an old man being a bit sort of gross, but it turns out it's, it's much. It's, it's about the politics of reincarnation. And um, just one quick question: Why does Biden sniff hair? The hair of young women in particular and young girls.
1: Yeah, and some boys. Yeah. Yeah, it is odd, isn't it? I mean, I guess, you know, maybe he likes the smell of hair. Maybe he's judging people according to um, how recently they've washed their hair or what particular conditioner they've been using. I don't know. Maybe Varsy he has a generous. hair. I suppose people think that he has a hair fetish of some kind and it's kind of like a weird sexual perversion, don't they? Um, yes, I'm one of those people that thinks that it's incredibly sick and weird. Yeah, it tends to be younger, kind of healthy people, doesn't it? He doesn't kind of sniff. You didn't seem to sniff. They're sniffing called the hair children. Out. Yeah. Is it always children? Isn't it sometimes young women?
0: Yeah, sometimes you're right. Yeah, but it seems to be largely children and some younger women. It's very,
1: very weird. It's I mean very as far weird. as as far as kind of. I mean, if it let's suppose you know, it is uh, a, a bizarre sexual quirk. I can think of you know worse ones. You know, I mean, I, I, if if I, if I had a really good babysitter. Um, And, uh, you know, (laughs) um, uh, uh, who who in all other respects was wholesome and dependable, um, but did have this habit of sometimes sniffing my children's hair. I don't think I'd sack them. I would say, okay, I could probably live with that. Am I being too tolerant? I was so
0: worried where you were going with that. I thought you were <laughs> going to say if, if I felt like sniffing the hair, would that be a problem? Would that be? <laughs> I was just talking about just sniffing asking, the baby's hair. Friend. No,
1: no, <laughs> no, no, no.
0: If they were to, if 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 they were to sniff your child's head, Toby, you're being far too libertarian. I mean, Biden, he's the he's the he's the, he's the leader of the free world. He's openly sniffing hair. And sort of <laughs> sort of gropey bits as well. There's sort of a grope and he always says, Oh, let me know when you No boyfriends to the age
1: of thirty and how old is he. He always has these weird, creepy quite, it's very, very creepy I, I think but by, by the, the standards system. by the standards of weird, vaguely sexual quirks exhibited by US presidents, I don't think it's particularly egregious. So LBJ used to when pe- in meetings in the White House Oval Office, he would he would suddenly get up, go into the adjoining presidential lavatory and take a dump with the door open and carry on the, the conversation. And he'd sometimes walk around naked in the Oval Office as well, at, you know, quite crowded meetings. Um, yes, so you I know, um, uh, uh, I think Bi- 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 Biden looks comparatively wholesome. And yet LBJ was, in many respects, a, a great president. Well, not, he wasn't he Think a, bit, you're being a most... bit bourgeois about this, Nick.
0: How <laughs> oh, dare you? LBJ is known as one of the most scumbag people in history, and he wasn't a good president. And he was a massive racist. He sprayed around the N word. You know, he was just a horrendous guy in many, many ways. But yeah, he did do that. JFK, yeah. Well, had, no, like, no I think, just... I think
1: well, the, 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 that's slightly unfair. I think the the no. interesting thing about LBJ and the reason, you know. There is this kind of magisterial three-part biography devoted to him, um, and the reason he fascinates historians is that yes, he he was in many respects a terrible man. He had all these character flaws. He could be ruthless, cruel, um, uh, but at the same time, he was a very effective politician and did do some genuinely, you know, um, uh, good things like the electrification of. Um, you know Texas and um, the War on Poverty, the Civil Rights Act, and so on and so forth. I mean, he 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 fulfilled the vision of JFK in a way that JFK, had he remained alive, might not have been able to do. Um, so yes, he took America. I mean, he didn't he didn't take America out of the Vietnam War, and um, yes, he used the N word, but he also passed the Civil Rights Act. I mean, he's a kind of you know a paradoxical, perplexing figure, and you know um, very human, I suppose, in that respect. He had good and bad qualities but uh, he wasn't all bad
0: well i've heard he was but look i'm saying jfk i know was was shagging everyone and there's all sorts of president clinton we can go through them but what you're yeah. saying just to clarify i'm sorry to go you know full kathy newman so what you're saying is that biden you've admitted it's a sexual fetish and you don't think it's a problem that the president is so like drunk on power that he openly displays a pedophilic sexual fetish in front of the world you, you're not bothered by that
1: well, I don't think I think you I think you are identifying it as Peter but I I think it's it it doesn't seem to be just children whose hairs whose hairy sniffs. Um, it, <laughs> You're it, pretty it, it's also, nice already also, with that sentence. It's also it's also young women, uh, and I, mean, I just think you know um, of course <laughs> we'd like our our political leaders to be paragons of virtue, but you know in the grand scale of things, if his only weird sexual peccadillo is sniffing hair then i think you know we've done okay
0: okay i think you've already sort of jumped the shark when you find yourself using <laughs> the phrase it's not just children it's also young women it's like not the most persuasive line of attack i've ever oh, heard but okay fine the listener can decide whether you're team nick or team P <laughs> on the hair sniffing question <laughs> on the hair sniffing yeah. yeah sorry to throw you under the bus Toby, but it was pretty funny um all right Well, do you want to take a very sharp left turn and back to the serious business of the worker protection bill that you've been working on and you've you've won, I think?
1: Yeah, well, I think we've almost won. Um, I don't think it's quite been killed off, but I think it's on life support. So the worker protection bill um, is a pretty egregious um, uh, private members bill, which was um, sponsored by two Lib Dems, a Lib Dem in the House of Commons and a Lib Dem in the House of Lords. And it was going to extend um, employers' liability uh, for the harassment of their employees to third-party harassment. So at present, employers are liable under the Equality Act 2010 for employee-on-employee harassment, and that includes employees overhearing conversations between two other employees that they find offensive or upsetting. But at the moment, employers aren't responsible if their employees hear members of the public or customers they come into contact with say things they find offensive, um, and and that's quite important in on campuses. So one of the reasons, um, one of one of the um, uh, one of the um, things that Stonewall has done to undermine free speech on campus is to persuade many universities that the Equality Act uh, does mean the university authorities are responsible for protecting trans employees from harassment by third parties, i.e. visiting speakers. So um, two gender-critical feminists, um, Joe Phoenix and Rosa Friedman, were no platform in a very quick succession at the University of Essex, 2019 and 2020, um, uh, on, on the grounds that, because various trans rights activists on campus persuaded the university authorities that they had a legal duty to protect them from being harassed and merely inviting these women onto campus, letting them come onto their campus and espouse their transphobic views would constitute a form of harassment. But actually, under the Equality Act, as it stands, it doesn't. There is no liability for third-party harassment. But there would have been had the Worker Protection Bill passed. It would have made it much more difficult um, to um, uh, fight back against... um, activist censors on campus. It would have meant um, publicans having to employ banter bouncers because barmaids could sue them for not doing enough to protect them from overhearing conversations, dirty jokes being told by punters in pubs. Um, hoteliers would have had to worry about trans members of staff complaining they hadn't done enough to protect them from customers walking in with t-shirts where it's saying, you know, woman equals adult human female Uh, at football grounds. This is my favourite example, Nick. Um, uh, A partially sighted steward, if he overheard a fan shouting at a linesman, are you blind? Would have been able to sue the club for not doing more to protect him from overhearing comments by fans, third parties, that he found upsetting or offensive in virtue of his protected characteristic, his disability, the fact that he's partially sighted. So it would have meant the kind of compliance culture the diversity training, the banned words and phrases that have effectively ruined workplaces up and down the country, all as a consequence of the Equality Act, which are put in place by employers to limit their liability, uh, to make it less likely they can be successfully sued in the employment tribunal by disgruntled employees. That culture would have been extended into pubs and restaurants and bars, and um, I think we've talked about it before. Uh, but anyway, this was this was sailing towards Royal Assent. It had sailed through the House of Commons. um its second reading, I think, in the House of Lords is fast approaching. um, and the Free speech Union has been campaigning energetically against it. Um, and uh, it's been quite a successful campaign. I think we've succeeded in uh, making people aware of the huge implications for free speech. In our kind of leisure spaces, of this bill, should it receive royal assent, and also the compliance costs. You know, businesses would have had to pay huge sums of money to to, to, to try and limit their liability to being sued by employers over third party harassment, employees by third over third party harassment. So, um, I think we built up ahead of steam. There is a lot of opposition now to the bill, both in the Lords and um, in the in the Commons. And on Sunday, in the Sunday Telegraph, um, the government. Effectively announced that they would be withdrawing their support from the bill and acknowledged that it needed more thought. And um, this had been rushed through and needs to be considered more carefully. So I think, I mean, it, it hasn't yet. It hasn't yet died. Um, but I think, uh, I think uh, various amendments have been laid in the House of Lords by sympathetic Conservative peers, and as a consequence, uh, a lot of time will have to be given over to these discussion of these amendments. And so the bill will time out. It'll run out of time. Um, but I'm sure it'll be revived under a Labour government, but at least we've, you know, at least we've managed to put a stake through its heart for the time being.
0: Well, great work. Thanks for all the great work you do behind the scenes on this stuff, Toby, and I see what you're doing. You're wearing down the clock. But yeah, like you say, when Labour get in, God knows what they're doing. I mean, hopefully they see that it's absolutely insane, but probably not, given that they're Labour. And speaking of Labour, should we quickly do this story? So, Sakir Starmer, I stand by every word, says Labour leader on Rishi Sunak attack ad. So... He stood up for these adverts, which Labour have been doing, which have kind of been called gutter politics. And even people on the Labour side have said they're a bit much. And the first one was, do you think adults convicted of sexually assaulting children should go to prison? Rishi Sunak doesn't. And then there was a series of these such as, do you think thieves should be punished? Rishi Sunak doesn't. And do you think an adult convicted of possessing a gun with intent to harm should go to prison? Rishi Sunak doesn't. The sexual assault one was particularly egregious because Labour setting themselves up as the custodians of, of uh, victims of sexual assault. When they basically ousted Sarah Champion, she had to resign when she exposed the grooming gangs scandal, you know, several years ago. They've been very poor in general on, on all of these things, I would say. Uh, there was another example I had of them. Oh yeah, I suppose their sort of partial support for the gender recognition bill from Scotland, where, you know, 16 year olds will be able to destroy their bodies and, and change gender. And just in general, the left is incredibly poor and they sort of Parts of the left, not not the Labour Party as such, but parts of the left engage in this kind of trying to legitimise so-called minor attracted people, a.k.a. pedos. That kind of thing goes on on the left. So I don't, I don't think Labour really the people to start talking about that. I thought that was particularly weak, especially because of the grooming gangs thing. And then in general, they, anyway, they ran all these attack ads. Labour's standing by them. Is it a cynical attempt to get Red Wall voters on board and they think, oh, the Red Wall will go for this kind of red meat? And they just sort of patronise my people in the north and other Red Wall areas. What's it all about,
1: Toby? Yeah, it's quite, I was quite surprised um, because, you know, the Labour Party often tries to take the high ground in politics. You know, part of, part of Labour's self-understanding, part of its appeal, the reason it's popular in London and the southeast and university towns is because it's thought to be um, above this kind of thing. It doesn't descend to gutter politics, unlike the Tories. And 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 during election campaigns, this often becomes a, a running theme. You know, the Conservatives have gone low, we'll go high. We want to talk about policy. We want to debate the real issues that matter to ordinary working people. And you're just engaging in smear tactics because you're morally inferior to us. So it's sli- it, it seems like a real departure, quite a significant... Moved by Keir Starmer and I think you know not entirely risk-free either I mean it does effectively completely open the door to the conservatives to retaliate maybe Keir Starmer thought well you know uh, 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 that risk is already priced in they're gonna they're gonna come at me you know in the lowest possible way anyway so I might as well get my licks in early um but yeah it does also kind of um Open them to the charge of hypocrisy. I mean, as you say, um, Labour aren't very credible critics of the Conservatives' record on law and order, particularly when it comes to child grooming gang, uh, uh, the 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 you know Asian grooming gangs. Um, not least because um, uh, 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 Keir Starmer was himself director of public prosecutions, um, so you know he was directly responsible for decisions about who to prosecute, and I believe that the number of rapes that were prosecuted uh, during his tenure actually did go down. Um, so, you know, they don't really well, have... Can I particular... just say on that
0: quickly, uh, that Leo yeah. mentioned that when we talked about that on GB News and we talked about this topic, he mentioned it in the clip, when people went mad on Twitter full of like Labour Starmer types, claiming that absolutely wasn't true and and, okay. and and adding Ofcom and citing disinformation. But is that, <laughs> is that true that, that Starmer, he did yeah. oversee that period?
1: I think we'll have, to, we'll have to Google it, but I remember reading... Um, about um, how uh, he he hadn't people complaining that he hadn't done enough to make sure um, rapes were prosecuted during his tenure. Uh, it may not be right that that, that no actually, no. Well, then Leo re- Leo said
0: it was right. He replied with a picture okay. of of a quote of um, Starmer actually saying that, and he just kept replying to more with this literal quote. So I think it probably is right, but I just think that was a one that sent them all right. mad and complaining to OFCOM. So I was just thinking if you had a take right, on
1: that. Right. Right. All right. No. Um, yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll be um, interesting to see what else Starmer's got up his sleeve. I mean, it's odd also that he chose the Easter recess to, um, to unveil this campaign. I suppose, you know, that's typically quite a slow period in politics. So they're likely to have got a lot of traction and, you know, people retweeting them and... Um, yeah, so so you get quite a lot of bang for your buck during the Easter recess because uh, you've got a kind of uh, a more open window. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that people will believe that Labour is the party of law and order. I mean, in their most recent attack ad, um, they've 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 talked about um, the fact that uh, taxes have gone up under under, you know, conservatives um, uh working people are paying more tax than ever. And yet, rich people are taking advantage of these tax loopholes. Um, And they've sort of more or less uh, outed, they've more or less identified Rishi Sunak's wife as someone who took advantage of non-DOM status. But I think that's a bit disingenuous, because um, non-DOM status isn't a tax loophole. I mean, it was deliberately designed um, to Um, make it more attractive for rich people um, to come here and, you know, spend a lot of money here and you have to purchase non-DOM status. It isn't free. Um, uh, I think it's like 30,000 a year or something. I mean, uh, maybe less than they'd pay in tax from their overseas earnings. But, you know, if you if the tax burden is too high, then they'll just go elsewhere and they'll take their money elsewhere and they'll take their business elsewhere. Um, So that was a deliberate policy, which I think has probably been of net benefit to the British economy and probably increased our overall tax take. Um, It's not a tax loophole. Um, So yeah, I'm a defender of non-dom status. And I think George Osborne was a bit wet about it. But anyway, that's, I guess, a slightly different argument.
0: Yeah. And just to clarify what I was saying, so this is just one example. Someone came in and said, more gutter politics from the Dog Whistle News Channel, inverted commas. And Leo replied with his picture that he was applying with. And it's from the Times from 2012. And it's Starmer saying, we failed grooming victims, Lord Chief Keir Starmer admits. So there it is. I mean, he's admitting failure. At least that's what the headline says. So that's what, what that was. So, all right. Well, yeah, there's the Labour attack ads. I think they're stupid and terrible, but I guess I would say that. Yeah, it seems like quite a strange move from Starmer who... His main thing seems to be sitting on the fence trying to avoid doing anything and just trying to win by default. So it seems very aggressive and odd and terrible branding. I don't know who's come up with it. It's a kind of like really bad version of take back control or something. I wonder if they, like, they've got a Cummings S person in there, but who actually wants the Tories to win? I don't know. I mean, how would you get <laughs> such terrible branding? But who knows? Maybe it will work. I don't know. Seems unlikely. So that's, I think that's most of our stories. Perhaps we have time for our occasional section that I like to do sometimes, which is Birdwatch. And this week's Birdwatch concerns our friend Elon Musk, your friend and mine. He's changed the face of Twitter and he's been at it again with some hilarious Musk-esque behaviour. And you can tell me if this is trolling or what. So Musk defends labelling BBC as government-funded media on Twitter so he called the, it started when he, he labeled NPR first in America. He said they were state-affiliated media, mm-hmm. and then they complained. And he said, okay, not state-affiliated then, but 1% of your budget comes from the government government grants, so you're government-funded media. So once he had that label, he then applied it to BBC. Now, of course, the BBC have compl- uh, complained and said, you know, we have to be independent by our nature. We're funded by the public. The government sets the rate, but we're not funded by the government. And um, Musk has replied in in an email, actually, and said, we're aiming for maximum transparency and accuracy. Linking to ownership and source of funds probably makes sense. I do think media organizations should be self-aware and not falsely claim the complete absence of bias. All organizations have bias, some obviously much more than others. And he does concede, or or, or certainly his view, that the BBC is among the least biased. So BBC is among the least biased, Musk said, but he still gave him the label... Another thing he did was take away the New York Times' blue verification mark. That was a little bit earlier. And there's two theories I have here, Toby. One is simply that he wants everyone to pay for blue ticks and things like that and pay to have their status update, although they might still have these labels, but certainly the blue ticks, that's the argument. And the other argument is just that he's humiliating legacy media because Twitter's the big boy now. They're the real media. And he's just sort of pointing out, you people are all biased, and I'm going to give you little labels and just having a bit of fun trolling them.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's probably a combination isn't it but I think it it must be part of his strategy to brand Twitter as a kind of independent alternative news publishing site to the legacy media. Um so the more legacy media brands he can he can describe as government funded the more it kind of furthers that object. Uh, it's an interesting question as to whether um the BBC is government funded or state funded? I mean, because it's it's on the one hand, um, it's not as if the government taxes, mem- you know, the citizenry and then uses the taxes they paid to fund the BBC. It's a form of direct taxation, isn't it? In which um, people pay the the tax directly to the BBC, or rather, they I guess they. Well, that's an interesting question. When you pay your, when you pay the, when you pay the TV license fee, I suppose it, I think it does go to a state agency, which then does give the lion's share, something like ninety-five percent of the money raised to the BBC. Um, but it's 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 less like other agencies, I suppose, which are which are state funded. But on the other hand, um, if you don't pay the tax levied effectively by the state to fund the BBC, um, then you can be fined and imprisoned. So it feels sort of like a kind of hybrid between a state tax and, you know, um, an a extortion. tax being imposed directly. <laughs> yeah, an extortion. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I-, I thought it was quite funny. And the reaction of the BBC, the outrage by the BBC was quite funny, as has been the, you know, the 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 all the people getting upset that the New York Times hasn't got a blue tick and that Gary Lineker hasn't got a blue tick. Oddly, I mean, you think if they cared, why don't they just pay the eight dollars a month? You know, I'm paying for my blue tick. Um, uh, even though I had a blue tick to begin with. Um, and uh why don't other why don't these you know, Gary Lineker, I mean, he surely he's, he's the highest paid you know, um, freelance contractor at the BBC, um, he can afford a blue tick. He can afford $8 a month. So why kick up a stink yeah. about it? Why not just fork over the money?
0: What about that 4.9 million he didn't give to the tax money? He gives some, of that, money, yeah, he some of that to Twitter. Uh,
1: where, where I th- so I think, I think Elon Musk, I think all that is fine. It's kind of, you know, it's on brand. It's quite entertaining. It trolls the libs. Um, where I think he has screwed up in the last week is in his sort of war on Substack, which I think he's now called off. But um, I don't know if you were following this, Nick, as a Substacker. I mean, we're both yeah. Substackers. Um, uh, it, it did actually, Substack, my Substack, whenever I posted on Substack, it used to automatically post on Twitter. It doesn't anymore. Um, but I think some of the things he was stopping, So he was stopping tweets being embedded in your Substack post. I don't know if you can do that anymore. I think, I think you now can do that again. And any link... Anything you posted on Twitter with a link to Substack uh, um, uh, didn't appear, um, and that's because Substack want to start this um, uh, new thing called Substack Notes, which is going to operate a bit like Twitter. Um, and Elon Musk was, you know, I mean, I think Twitter, Twitter's argument was that it was going to be a direct competitor to Twitter, so why should they help Substack anymore? Um, but I think that was so clear, and, and it produced this kind of. Um, breakup between Elon Musk and Matt Tybee, one of the kind of primary authors of the Twitter files, who's now left Twitter, saying if they if if if, if Elon Musk is going to do this to Substack, then I no longer want anything to do with his platform. He might come back, because I think that um, uh, Twitter is now being more reasonable. Uh, but it it does it did feel like a kind of an unfortunate schism, you know, on our side. You know, Substack and Twitter aren't. Uh, they, they they appeal to the same people, and the people who've been defending Musk's takeover of Twitter, and you know post takeover Twitter, are exactly the same sort of people that are on Substack. It's become a kind of source of um, alternative free-thinking, independent news in the same way that Twitter has. So it did seem unfortunate that there should suddenly be this kind of battle breaking out between people who really should be on the same side.
0: Yes, absolutely. That was a big mistake. And you can follow me, nickdixon.substack.com. I'm posting on there. People love my Substack. It's a great platform. I love it and must, shouldn't block it. On the TV licence, by the way, you could just sort of not pay and not let them in. You know, it's one thing people do, not saying saying you should. Um, (laughs) On the... um, on the Twitter blue tick, I just I just wanted to upload video that was longer, which I then did, and and someone tried to get me sued for my interview with Andrew Bridgeman. So that was worthwhile. That was the only reason I did it. I don't even care about blue ticks. The blue tick doesn't really have status anymore. You click on someone they've got forty three followers. If anything, it's kind of the opposite because people try and mock you for having a blue tick. So
1: I don't care it about that. Like he said a bit like some, someone saying, you know, I, I I only buy Playboy for the interviews. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, yeah, that is actually, believe it or not, my reason for purchasing the blue tick too. Because I already had a blue tick, so I didn't need to buy one. But it did mean I could I could post videos lasting longer than two minutes twenty seconds. It was because I was it's was because I was so. Um, I, I saw that by Constantine. The, the video that Constantine posted of <laughs> his speech at the Oxford Union suddenly started racking up millions of views on Twitter. And I tried to post mine and couldn't because I could only post two minutes and 20 seconds worth. So I asked him how he did it. He said, well, you got to get a blue tick. You buy a blue tick, you can post much longer videos. So that's why I bought my blue tick too. And yes. of course, it only led to disappointment when my speech didn't get anything like as many retweets as his. But there we are.
0: And you've been very consistent because I've seen your Playboy collection, and I do know that they were all bought for the interviews. <laughs> They're all in your shed, and some incredible interviews in there that Toby looks at at night. So, um And just lastly on Lineker, just lastly on this, because we haven't got much time, actually, I did put out a tweet about Lineker. So Lineker said, someone said, why doesn't Gary Lineker have a ver- verification check mark anymore? Lineker replied to him, no idea. I'm on the review, apparently, at Twitter support. And I wrote, well done to Elon Musk for having the guts to crack down on large misinformation accounts. Clapping emoji. That's got <laughs> 1,700 likes. Bec- nice. People went absolutely mad about that. The amount of like low IQ normies I had replying to that saying, oh, typical misinformation from GB News, or oh, I thought you were in favour of free speech. What is obviously, surely, Toby, <laughs> just a silly
1: joke. What yes, is wrong with these I- people? What is wrong I guess they, you know... They they tune, they're, they're able to tune out humor when it suits them, or maybe they just don't have a sense of humor. I don't know. Yeah. Um, All right. We give a quick plug to our um, forthcoming live oh, event. of course. So yeah, just wanted to flag up to people that ordinary tickets to. Mine and Nick and Will Jones's live show, The Weekly Skeptic Live, um, are now on sale. They're only £25. You can still buy VIP tickets for £45 in which you get to have a drink with us afterwards, but there are very few of those left. I think only 15 left now. So if you want one of those, you better get on your bike. Um, but um, yeah, it's at the Emanuel Centre, which is in Westminster in London. It's uh, on the 20th of May doors open at seven as does the bar show starts at 7 30 it'll last for about two hours there will be an audience q a it'll and it'll it'll be like it'll be like i guess it'll be quite it'll be similar to but not identical to um a, a an episode of the weekly skeptic won't it nick
0: it will be similar but with more bans more outrageous more real views expressed in the safety of the live environment uh, you know it won't be our toned down pc views and then if you get a vip ticket Fifteen left, as you say, as we speak, and we've underpriced them this time, guys. We realize later, so they'll never be this cheap again. So forty-five quid <laughs> for a VIP ticket, and you get to corner Toby and either call him a cook or thank him for his work on the Worker Protection Bill. And you get, you can, and you get to corner me for whatever you want and um, ask me why I, you know want to halt immigration or something, or you know why I said that women shouldn't vote last week. You know, <laughs> come to the VIP. I'm not selling it that well, am I, Toby? But it'll be a great <laughs> event. Emmanuel Centre it's a beautiful venue. And who knows how many we'll do with these guys. You know, we never know. We, we could easily fall out. It has happened to people. <laughs> this could be the last one. I could say something crazy. Who knows what could happen? One of us could go to prison. Probably not that, you, but it happened you, to Top G. You could become
1: too toxic. And I would think, well, tainted by association. Uh, yeah. In the interest of preserving my That one's actually... There's distance between... <laughs> Yeah, that one's actually
0: disturbingly likely. Uh, Now you've said it, that's bothering me. Um, But it definitely comes out. 25 quid for normal tickets on the 20th of May or 45 quid for the last few VIP tickets. And yeah, we're we're selling well, but we we, we certainly could do with even more support and it'll make it even more fun the more people are there.
1: And we should say that if people want tickets, um, you can click on the banner. Um, at the top of the Daily Skeptic website. That's dailyskeptic.org. If you've got ad blocker on, you won't see the banner. We've had a few people point that out to us. Well, what banner? can't see it. That's because they've got ad blocker on. But I've been tweeting about it. Nick's been tweeting about it. So if you go to Toadmeister or Nick Dixon Comic, you'll find soon enough a link to the Eventbrite page where you can buy a ticket. But you can also search on Eventbrite. Eventbrite Eventbrite.com is the other way. And then just type in Weekly
0: Skeptic. You can't miss it, guys. Really no excuse. Some people are saying, oh, I'm going to come. You know, or oh, should I go to the VIP? People have been messaging me, and it's not clear whether, especially if they know me, it's a bit weird if I'm going to charge them. But if you don't know me, just definitely buy your ticket now because they won't last, especially the VIPs because they've got 15 left. And by the way, our podcast, The Weekly Skeptic, hit 20,000 views in a week on our last episode, so which is great. And thank you, for all everyone, for listening and telling a friend. But also, it means that by the time 20,000 people hear this, they could easily buy 15 VIP tickets. So I would do it. ASAP.
1: That's true. Yeah. And other tickets may sell out quite soon too. So yeah, sooner you get them, the more likely you are to actually secure a place at this much coveted event.
0: Yeah. That's going to be James Delegall. So, um, all (laughs) right, well, now let's go over to Will. So I'm here with Dr. Will Jones, editor of The Daily Skeptic. And as usual, we've got some very interesting stories. Firstly, the Swiss government is no longer recommending COVID vaccinations, Will.
2: Yeah, so uh, big news from over in Switzerland. The government there has withdrawn its recommendations for COVID vaccines. No more boosters for them. They've reserved the right uh, to bring them back should a new a new surge appear. So it's not, they haven't banned them, they haven't um, declared them too dangerous for use, unfortunately, but uh, they have withdrawn their recommendations. So unlike here, no no new booster campaigns in the spring and the autumn, they have decided that it's time to stop rolling out those vaccine booster programmes. So great news. There were also reports that they have introduced liability for doctors, Giving the vaccines, uh, however, it turned out that Switzerland actually always made doctors liable for that. A, a person in Switzerland tweeted that to clarify that. So, so that that wasn't a, a change. Uh, I, I'm not aware of any legal action arising from that. So interesting that that isn't a change, and they've always been liable for that. But yeah, big big, big news uh, that the Swiss government is the latest government to say that's enough of these boosters.
0: All right, well, it doesn't affect me that much because I had no plans on going to Switzerland uh, or taking the dodgy death jab, but good to know anyway. Uh, should we move on to another thing that doesn't affect me? And do masks made no difference to hospital COVID infection rates according to a study?
2: Yeah, major study here, and this is a study by St George's Hospital in London, uh, published. Uh, well, it's p- to be presented uh, later in the month at the European Congress of Clinical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases, and they found uh, they found that no evidence that mandatory masking of staff impacts the rate of hospital COVID infection with the Omicron variant. So that the study limits it to hospital staff and Omicron, but of course we can we can read into that that uh, it's likely because it backs up the other evidence uh, that masks generally, there's no evidence that they are effective, that they have any significant impact. Uh, so we can read into that, that this has implications beyond just that variant and just the staff. Um, they they try to claim that it, it doesn't mean that masks are worthless against Omicron, uh, but they do say that their real world benefit in isolation appears to be at best modest in a healthcare setting, which is a way of saying that it really doesn't do very much at all, and in fact, one of the authors, Doctor, you can have to, you have to bear with me with this uh, pronouncing this name, uh, Aodan Breathnach, added. Many hospitals have retained masking at significant financial and environment cost, and despite the substantial barrier to communication, we hope this empirical evidence can help inform a rational and proportionate mask policy in health services. So yet again, a, a statement which is a, a very thinly veiled way of saying these are rubbish, expensive, and harmful. Stop using them. So it's really good to see that some uh, some really um, some really solid research coming out, backing up, of course, what the Cochrane review showed uh, that we talked about uh, on previous episodes.
0: Yeah, we actually covered this on GB News, and I I said it was vindication finally after all these people basically wished me dead <laughs> for for not wearing a mask. It was all nonsense. All right. That's my informal study. Let's do um, climate madness now and seize property to build wind and solar farms, says JP Morgan Chief.
2: Yeah so just 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 in case any re- listeners were still in doubt that the great reset is just some fanciful conspiracy theory that we have the uh, chief executive of JP Morgan suggesting that governments should seize private land to build wind and solar farms in order to meet net zero targets this is Jamie Dimon uh, he's the long-standing boss of the bank, and he's a donor to the Democratic Party, you may not be surprised to know. And he said that green energy projects must be fast-tracked as the window for averting the most costly impacts of global climate change, he says, is closing. It's in his annual shareholder letter that he's written this. He's uh, become quite a famous pulpit that he uses to preach Uh, the latest religion being signed up to by corporate elites and this is the latest one so in case you are still under any illusions that property rights were sacred in the west then you can bury those illusions now so um yeah worrying developments and let's hope that governments don't take them up on this him up on this suggestion of seizing land and property to cover our countryside with solar panels and wind farms, which, as we've talked about before, are very unreliable. Uh, they use a lot of resources of their own, uh, rare rare metals, difficult to and expensive to repair and keep in good repair, and very inefficient compared to much denser forms of energy. So not good news. Let's hope that this is a suggestion that doesn't end up in any government policy anytime soon.
0: Yeah, it's the old watermelons again, green on the outside, red on the inside. And it reminds me of a meme I saw the other day. This guy says climate change will kill us all. Let's dismantle our socio-economic system to prevent it. And then this other guy says, "How about nuclear power?" And he, the first guy goes, "I don't want nuclear power. I want to dismantle our socio-economic system."
2: And that's what it's actually really about.
0: I M H O. Wow,
2: say it as it is. You know, don't hold back. There, it's a rare admission of a uh, of honest, a rare, honest admission there.
0: That was just a that was just a meme cartoon, Robert. That's but that is how they think
2: oh sorry i missed <laughs> that bit nick i thought that was a rare. you thought it was <laughs> a, a masked off moment okay, well, yeah. uh, but it's it, <laughs> i mean but you do i mean we did hear greta thunberg essentially coming out with that didn't we a few months ago where she yeah. basically so, suddenly pivoted from a uh, calling for green things to a uh, calling for the, the end of the capitalist system or whatever it was yeah <laughs> say the quiet part out loud. hilarious um all right Let's do another one on climate madness. U.S.
0: government has an accurate measure of U.S. temperature that shows no recent warming, but it's hidden. This is from Chris,
2: our environment editor at Daily Scept. Yep, Yeah, Chris Morrison, another great piece uh, from him. The uh, U.S. government, uh, in one of its uh, more honest moments, uh, some, uh, some time ago, 2005, set up a state-of-the-art automated system designed specifically to accurately measure climate trends at the surface of the Earth. It's called the U.S. Climate Reference Network. Um, It comprises 114 weather stations across North America and sited properly, well away from anything urban, anything that might cause distortions, urban heat, urban heat islands, the growth of cities, airports, aeroplanes, fighter jets, you know, we've heard about that from the... uh, the temperature record, so-called last July, so properly cited, rigorously uh, set up back in the day when they were being uh, more honest, you might say, back in two thousand and five, and they've got this data, and we've printed the graph of it. Um, we printed it before, we printed it again, and it really is—it it really is very flat. I say flat; I mean it goes up and down, as you imagine, temperature was, but the trend is very flat, much flatter than the other the other measurements, uh, which are are not cited so well. And strangely enough, with this data that they've been collecting. For the past nearly twenty years, they don't they don't make much of this. You'd think that this would be front and center of their of their science documents of their statements, but no, no, it's uh, it's hidden away. You have to you have to look for it. It is there. To be fair to them, they do publish it. We have we have got it, but it is certainly not put front and center. They don't draw attention to it and say, "And hey, hey, here's the really accurate data that we should be looking at." They really don't do that at all. And this has been drawn attention to by U.S. meteorologist, well known to skeptics in the climate world uh anthony watts uh he's a, a meteorologist in his in his own right uh runs a, a website what's up with that uh, which we often link to on the site and he has drawn attention to it again this week so uh we've highlighted that again uh because you know we can't we can't we can't repeat these things too often i don't think because because it doesn't matter how many times we say it they just keep on putting out this stuff this data that isn't accurate, this data that's skewed and biased and spun uh, in order to justify their extraordinary extreme programmes of uh, environmental and social control. Uh, we just keep putting these things out in the hope that more and more people uh, will wake up and see uh, what's really going on.
0: Yeah. All right. Thanks for that. Well, I think let's should we move off climate and do a little bit of a Joe Biden, who has apparently declared COVID is over. That's nice of him.
2: Yeah, he did, didn't didn't want to declare it was over. Uh, this was a Republican bill that was uh, started in the Rep- Republican-controlled House to declare the COVID emergency finally over after more than three years. He initially uh, argued against it and said that he didn't want to uh, approve it. Uh, but in the event... Uh, he changed his mind and decided he would not veto this bill, and so he uh, yesterday signed a Republican bill ending the national COVID-19 emergency. It managed to pass the Senate by 68 to 23, so you know, not you're uh, not unanimous, uh, but still a lot of Democrats uh, supported it, which you know, you've got to see as, as good news, finally, I mean, take the time about it, but it will, it's good that the, it's a one line measure, that this one line measure, saying that the national emergency that was declared on March the 13th, 2020, is hereby terminated. So uh, unfortunately, this doesn't mean that if you're unvaccinated, you can now enter the US, that ban is still unbelievably in place. Uh, with what justification is hard to fathom. If there was ever a justification, of course, but there certainly isn't now, and that's still in place. But let's hope it's got to do something to, to shift that, surely. If there's no longer an emergency, they need to they need to get rid of that as well. So we'll have to see whether they'll let Djokovic, uh, the highest profile person it affects, of course, they'll let Djokovic go and compete at the US Open this summer.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely mad. that The vaccination thing's still in place. Just completely mental. Like you say, good that the bill's gone through, 197 Democrats in the House voted against it. But hey, at least it got through and the uh, good old Joe's ended COVID for us. So, <laughs> all right, somebody... Uh, that's, it, that's probably what he wants to
2: see. He's probably decided it, it could reflect well on him in the end. Uh, must must be pol- politics in there somewhere. Uh, yes, yeah. I, I'm the man who ended the COVID emergency. Yeah, right you are.
0: Yeah, until the next one, that, the next little virus that Bill Gates comes out with. <laughs> Just kidding, guys. Just a bit of to there. Um, all right. Well, those are some very interesting stories. Thanks for that, Will. And we'll catch up with you again next week.
2: Great. Thanks, Nick.
0: All right. That was Will. Now it's time for everyone's favourite section. It's Peak Woke. So, Toby, we have a few minutes left. We're actually both in a rush this week. But don't worry, listeners. We're not skimping on time. It's been a nice long episode. And we are now going to give you our Peak Wokes. And my favourite one, well, one this week was that there was a place in Brisbane that refused to sell hot cross buns, and I forgot to print it out, but I'm just gonna have a look. It was hot cross buns in Brisbane, and they decided that the cross was not inclusive enough uh, at Easter, so Brisbane bakery removes hot cross buns, and um, which you know is kind of the whole point of the the hot cross bun, and it didn't seem to be for any other reason than just it was a cross, as far as I could tell, and they turned it into some sort of Easter worshiper bun. I don't know exactly what they changed. just changed it to, basically a rubbish-looking bun with no cross on it. So that was peak woke. And the other one, if I may, was Suella Brabman slams police for sending six officers to seize gollywog dolls from Pub. Now, I'm not coming out pro-gollywog doll. I want to make this clear. It's not it's not my stance. I don't have them stashed around the house. Toby's got a few in the shed, but I, I always <laughs> tell him off when I'm around there. And um I'm against the gollywog. I mean, I'm like, you know, we grew up it was just a thing on the jam. I wasn't I'm not against it as such, but I know that some people find it offensive. However, it took six officers to seize 15 dolls. That's 2.5 officers per doll, or is it the other round? Dolls per officer? Anyway, it's six policemen for 15 dolls. I'm not that good at maths, guys, but that seems a bit off to me. The resources don't seem the best used. And there was this bizarre, bizarre sentence that um, they talked about. This was in Greys in Essex. They took him away, and they said, police said, as he is a licensee, they need to interview him, meaning the landlord... And they have taken the dolls away in the interim. Just that sentence, we've taken you. Hello, we're here from the government and we're here to take your dolls away. It's like how infantilized and authoritarian <laughs> are we when they're seizing dolls in a pub? That was what do you think to that, Toby?
1: Yeah, um, I think that's gonna win peak woke, whatever I come up with. Um, that just seems like the police gone completely mad, you know. Um I looked up the um I've written about this in the spectator this week, and I looked up the. Um, uh, the number of burglaries that are actually, uh, that were solved in Essex. Um, Because of course, if you're burgled, um, you know, you're lucky if one police officer shows up, let alone six. So six police officers turned up at this pub to confiscate 15 gollywogs. It was just completely ridiculous. And they were investigating it as a potential hate crime. Um, just having the Goliwogs behind the bar potential hate crime. Um, And uh, yeah, so um, I looked up and it was, uh, yeah, so in 2018-19, just 4% of residential burglaries reported to Essex police resulted in someone being charged or summoned to court. So yeah, maybe they've got their priorities slightly wrong there. Um, But yeah, absolutely shocking. Um, I I think I've got, I've got two for you. Um, I I, I did have, I did have three. So I've got, I've got three, but I won't dwell on them for too long. So one was this um, art historian at Harvard having identified this 147 year old stained glass window in a church in Rhode Island, um, which according to him depicts Jesus as a person of color, and um, this, this has been hailed as you know a great statement of radical equality um, from 147 years ago. Probably just you know hasn't been cleaned in a few years. Um, uh, and then there was um, uh, yeah the, Justin Welby during his Easter sermon, pledging a hundred million pounds from church funds um, uh, to, um, atone for the Anglican church's involvement in the slave trade. Uh, I suppose it's, you know, it's a lot better than the guardians, sort of 10 million pounds when the guardians links to the slave trade were exposed, but, um, ridiculous. And what a silly thing to kind of make the focal point of your Easter sermon, if you're the leader of the Anglican church. Uh, And then finally, Nick, this was a recent one, which only crossed my path today, but during the, um, Wolves-Chelsea match uh, in Wolverhampton, uh, I think on Good Friday, which Chelsea lost. Um, uh, It was Frank Lampard's first game in charge. So we were celebrating in my household, Chelsea being longstanding QPR rivals, although I'm not sure Chelsea know that. We certainly know it. Um, But um, three fans after the game were arrested by West Midlands police because the Wolves fans were chanting Chelsea Rent Boys, Chelsea Rent Boys and that. (coughs) That that that's a that's a homophobic slur, um, uh, and but I, it's it's slightly odd, also obviously. a motif well, on this show, <laughs> um, and I, about I was, it about I was five times. yeah we we talked about it several times. But I know that I know that, that, that I, knew, I knew I knew that clubs, um, you know, um, uh, particularly Premier League clubs, had announced that they were they weren't going to tolerate you know, this homophobic chant any longer. But I didn't know the police had now taken it upon themselves to enforce this new club policy. Um, it's hard to imagine what it is about chanting that that's actually against the law. Um, I mean, stirring up hatred um, against certain people in protected categories, including homosexuals, um, is a public order offence. But in, in chanting Chelsea rent boys, you're not stirring up hatred against homosexuals exactly unless you're assuming that actually what the fans are saying is correct and and everyone associated with Chelsea Football Club is in fact gay. Uh, 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 uh but, but if, if if they're not, you know, if it's clearly just a wind-up, um, then you're not stirring up hatred against a group of homosexuals because actually probably very few Chelsea fans and even fewer Chelsea players are gay. Uh, So I'm not quite sure how the police are going to make that one stick. And I very much doubt um, these three fans will be prosecuted. But it did seem like a kind of sinister escalation in the war against football fans.
0: Yeah, it's a hate crime to call straight people gay, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's kind of like when India (laughs) Willoughby insults Sharon Davis by saying that she's like a man. It's like... But isn't that, that's kind of weird to be coming from you, isn't it? Isn't that the kind of thing you're always saying people shouldn't do? It's kind of strange for a trans person for the first insult they go to, well, you look like a man. It's like, mm, okay, that's, something seems really off about that. Anyway, we don't have time for that, Tub, because we've got to go. And um, anything we want, so yeah, I, either your, Welby was possibly Pete woke, because it was so disgusting. He was basically appropriating Jesus, much as he did when he claimed Jesus would have had the vaccine. You've now got the archbishop, just someone who's basically a wokist secular woke who likes to appropriate Jesus whenever it suits him completely disgusting I could do a whole episode on that but um and, and yeah and the gollywogs possibly Pete woke as well um anything oh here's a quick review this is quite funny Nick holds back too much and needs more outrageous takes whereas Toby the truther needs to take his tinfoil hat for a, hat off for a moment smashing show fellas so someone sort of reversed it there <laughs> and there's another <laughs> review of somebody who's come over from London calling but I don't want to read it because it's a bit mean but they basically say they've come over as a result of James's uh, skepticism on the existence of dinosaurs, which was the final fossilized straw. Thing is, I'm skeptical about dinosaurs as well, but I just I just phrase it more politely. <laughs> we could get into dinosaurs, <laughs> but we don't have time today. Come to the Weekly Skeptic Live, eventbrite.com, May 20th at the Emanuel Center share the podcast, tell your friends, leave a five-star review, takes a few seconds. And thank you for all the people that have been listening. It's incredible. We've got $20,000 in a week. That is top 1% of podcasts in the country. And it's unheard of to do that in 31 episodes. I know you look at YouTube, you think, oh, that's not that many. It's a huge amount of views for audio Listen, sorry. So thank you very much for that. Toby, anything you'd like to add?
1: Well, I just wanted to add that if you do come to our very reasonably priced live show of The Weekly Skeptic, at the end, Nick is going to be using his stand-up comedian audience rapport to get the entire audience to chant stay skeptical at the same time so i'm looking forward to that moment
0: oh yeah it'll be amazing and you can do it we're doing a q a at the end so you can grill us on absolutely anything you know within within reason all right so we'll hopefully see you may 20th but before that we'll also see you next week but until then stay skeptical stay
1: skeptical